Hello Church, grace and peace. Today is the first Sunday of the month, and as the first Sunday of the month, one of the things that we're used to doing is to celebrate the Lord's Supper. In fact, we call this Sunday the Sunday around the table. And providentially, not coincidentally, the passage that we have in front of us is the Lord's Prayer, and today we're meditating specifically on Jesus's uh, instructions for us to pray to the Father that the Father would give us our daily bread. So would you read the Word of God with me? Matthew 6, verses 9 through 15. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. So as we're going through this series during the season of Lent entitled The Prayer, as we look into the Lord's Prayer, And specifically today, as we reflect upon this piece of the prayer where Jesus says to us, when you pray, pray to the Father, give us today our daily bread. What does it mean to pray to the Father, asking the Father to give us our daily bread? It means three things. It means to pray with a posture of dependence. It means, number two, to pray in line with purpose. And lastly, it means to pray with a heart full of hope. Let's look at uh, the the first point. It means to pray with a posture of dependence. See, Jesus wants us to pray to the Father for our daily provision, acknowledging that everything comes from the Father's hands. Everything that we have in our lives that is good, it has come to us from the Father's hands. In the book of James, James says that every good gift comes from above, from the Father of light. Now, I know that this is sometimes something that's hard for Westerners like ourselves to swallow because we tend to believe that that which we have in life is a byproduct of our good work. What do you mean, pastor? Everything that I have has come from from God. I have worked hard in life. I studied when all of my friends were slacking off. I have made good business decisions, and I have capitalized on those decisions. And that's why I have what I have today. It's a byproduct of my hard work. Listen, let me tell you something. There are people around the world that have made good decisions as you have, that have worked as hard or even harder than you have, that don't have 1% of what you have because you were born in this day and age, you were born in this country of the parents that you were born from, you were given opportunities that other people do not have. You have health. All these things are a consequence of the grace of God that has been showered over you. Therefore, everything that we have comes from God, and we must acknowledge that, that It is only from his hands that we can receive. That's why that sentence starts with, 
forgive us or give me. Now, there's another dimension that you must understand. That uh, this request that Jesus encourages us to make when we pray is a reference to an Old Testament passage. It's found in Exodus chapter 16. Uh, Before Exodus 16, there is some history there. Uh, The people are God. They're found in slavery in Egypt, and God obviously raises Moses as the leader and the deliverer of the people out of Egypt towards the promised land. And as God delivers his people from captivity in Egypt towards the promised land, he promises to take care for every single need of theirs. He promises to step into his character of God, the God who is a provider, Jehovah Jireh. And he says, I will guide you through the desert, because obviously they were asking the question, where? Where are we going? God says, don't worry about it, just follow me. I will give you a resource during the day to follow, and I will give you a resource at night to follow. But follow me. And God said to them as well, as, as you journey towards the land that I'm about to give you, I will nurture you. I will feed you. Because the desert is a place where food doesn't grow. Where you can't find food. You can't even hunt. God says, I will provide for every single need of yours. And so that's what happened. Every morning when the Israelites woke up in the middle of the desert, they would walk out of their tent and there would be literally bread on the ground, which the Bible calls manna. Every morning, God would provide for their sustenance. Now, they could not take that bread and store it for the following day because the bread would spoil except for on the Sabbath day where they were encouraged by God not to work. The, the bread would last through the Sabbath, but they couldn't store it up for any other day. God wanted them to understand that they had to depend on him for guidance and for sustenance every single day. They had to rely on his provision as they journeyed towards the promised land. And there's obviously two principles for us related to that. Uh, Number one, that uh, tomorrow's bread is not good for today. Tomorrow's bread is not available today. Today's bread, that's what God was saying to them, is for today, not for tomorrow. It's your daily provision, and I want you to rely on me, and I want you to depend on me. And you know why this is such an important acknowledgement for us to make? Because I know that some of you right now are going to have a tough conversation with someone tomorrow, and you don't know what you're going to say. You don't know how you're going to handle yourself. You know you must have that conversation. It's not going to be easy. But you won't even know how it's going to turn out. Some of you are going to have to go through a very tough medical treatment this week, maybe chemotherapy. And you look at yourself today and say, I don't have strength to go through this next week or tomorrow. But guess what? Even though... Tomorrow's bread is not available today. It will be available tomorrow. See, to pray this prayer is to trust 
that God will give you your daily provision, that he will give you the right words when it comes time to have that conversation, that he will give you the strength that you don't have today for tomorrow. It's to constantly depend on him for your daily sustenance. Here's a second principle. God's provision is rooted in his promises. See, all of God's provisions to us, they are rooted in his promises. This promise to his people that he would be their provider, that he would be their sustainer. It's rooted in the promise that he has vowed to put your best interests in mind. He has that in mind. To care for your every single need. This is what he's saying here in the Sermon of the Mount, isn't it? Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't be anxious about life. Look at the lilies of the field and see how the Father clothes them in beauty. Not even Solomon was clothed in so much beauty like the lilies of the field. And look at the birds of the air. They don't toil and work, but yet the Father provides for their daily needs. And if he provides for the lilies and for the birds, why would he not provide for every single need of yours? His provision is rooted in his promises. And let me ask you this question. Are you rooted? Are you standing on God's promises today? And you're asking me now, well, how do I know if I'm standing on God's promises or not? Here's, here's how you know. See, God's promises, they're solid, they're stable, because God's promises are rooted in God's character. He is not like the son of men who do not keep their word. God is always faithful. God is always truthful. So you know that when you're standing on God's promises, there is stability. When you're not standing on God's promises, there is instability. I remember the first time I went paddleboarding. Today, I, I, I know how to paddleboard. I love paddleboarding. I have a couple paddleboards. But I remember the first time I stood up on a paddleboard, uh, my knees were shaking, and the board was going uh, left to right. And the guy that was teaching me says, just, just make sure that you stabilize, you distribute well your weight, and you buckle your knees, you bend it a little bit. Just stand for a little bit, bend your knees, and it was still unstable, and I was beginning to get anxious and afraid because I looked at these shallow waters. The first time I did it, there was these nurse sharks sim- swimming underneath me, and I was like, man, I'm going to fall, and I'm going to be eaten by one of these sharks. He says, ah, don't worry about it. You know, these are bottom feeders. They don't eat people, and I was like, okay, great, but I still don't want to fall into these waters, right? See, when you're not standing on God's promises, your, your, your emotional life is very unstable. It's characterized by anxiety. It's characterized by fear because you're not standing on his promises. So are you standing on his promises? See, God's providence is rooted in God's promises, which are rooted in his faithful character. So that's the posture that we ought to have as we pray, a posture of dependence, standing on God's promises. Second thing is that we must pray in line with purpose. Pray in line with purpose. What is a life of purpose? What is a life that's characterized by purpose? Is a life 
that's lived out by vision, not by sight. It's lived out by vision, not by sight. In other words, the person knows why they are here. The person knows what have they been called to do, and they're living their life based on that vision. They're living their lives based on that calling. Somebody that lives their life by sight is somebody that is making changes based on circumstances. So they take jobs because it pays more. They're not called to that work. They don't have that in their vocation, but they take the job because it pays more. They do certain things because they're easier. They're more convenient. They're character- it's characterized by convenience, right? That's what they do. They do things because they're, they're easier to do and not by purpose. They're not guided by vision. See, a life of purpose is a life that's lived out in vision. And here's a principle that I want to introduce to you right now, and that is that God's provision is provision. Hear that? Let me say that again. God's provision is provision. What do I mean by that? God's provision is anti-passivity. God's provision is anti-convenience. God's provision is anti-fear. It's not based on sight. It's based on His vision. Some of you are asking, man, what type of theology is this? This is covenantal theology, people, okay? Let me give you some examples in the Bible. Remember the story of Abraham in the book of Genesis? He's living a life of comfort near his family. God comes to Abraham. He says, I want you to leave your land. I want you to leave your comfortable life to a land in which I will show you and I will give you. And God says to him, in essence, look, if you stay, you will not experience that which I have for you, which is this new land and this amazing promise that I'm going to give you. But if you do leave this life of comfort, if you step out into this calling that I'm placing in your life, I will lead you there. Now, go to Moses. We talked about the people being delivered by God from Egypt towards the promised land. What was God's conversation with Moses like? Moses had spent 40 years working for his father-in-law, tending sheep. God shows up to Moses in a burning bush, and he says to Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt, to the place where you were raised, to the palace that you grew up in, and I want you to plead with Pharaoh, who you grew up with, to let my people go. Immediately, there's all these obstacles that are coming up in Moses' head, and he begins to deal with God first. I don't know how to speak, how this is going to happen. And God says, listen, if you go, I will give you the words. I will be with you. Had Moses stayed back in the desert with his father-in-law tending sheep, he would have not received God's provision, and he would have not experienced that which God had prepared for him. He would have not led the people out of Egypt. He would, he would, he would have not been part of that great enterprise. Think of Gideon, for instance. Gideon. He's this uh, young man, has no military experience at all, and God shows up to him at one point in time in the book of Judges and says, hey, Gideon, I am calling you to deliver my people from the hands of the Midianites. But 
I don't have any experience. How am I going to do this? I will be with you. I will provide for you. I will give you victory. I will put them in your hands. Had Gideon decided not to follow God's calling, he would have not received the provision which resulted in victory. Now, what about Jesus? At the end of the Gospel of Matthew, the resurrected Christ, before he ascends to heaven, he gathers his disciples and he says, I want you to go throughout all of the world, starting in Jerusalem, then uh, Judea, then Samaria, then to the ends of the earth. And I, I want you to preach the gospel to every single person. And I want you to make disciples out of them. And I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And then right there in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, he says, as you go, I will be with you to the ends of the ages. God says, I will provide the strength and the presence that you need as you're going before peoples of different cultures, as you travel to places that you've never been before. I promise to not leave your side. See, you must understand this. We must understand this, that there are certain provisions that are conditioned upon our willingness to step out in vision. You will only receive these provisions if you step out in vision. It's anti-passivity. These provisions are anti-passivity, anti-fear. Wouldn't it be weird if you knew somebody that prayed every day that God would give them daily bread and they are perfectly healthy human beings but they never left the house to work? They sat on their couches watching TV and playing video games every day. See, God promises to provide so much as we step in faith and live our lives out of vision, not based on sight. That's what we're called to do. God is calling you. It's, he's calling me to live out by his vision, not by our sight. Not by our opinions, not by what we see around us, not by the circumstances that show itself against us. He is saying, just trust my character and trust the vision and the calling that I've placed in your life and go and I'll provide. You may not know how, you may not know where, you may not know what, but I will provide. And I've experienced that in my own life and in the ministry of this church for so many years. When we were first called to Miami to replant Emmanuel Presbyterian Church, I looked at my coaches and I said, hey, have you guys ever replanted a church before? They said, no. I looked at Beth and I said, we've never done this before. My coaches told me, hey, we're going to learn with you and maybe hopefully help others in the future. I was like, great, guinea pigs. But we stepped out in faith. We stepped out into that vision. We didn't know what to do. We didn't know the people that God would give us. But God provided every step of the way. And this has been the story of this church. All the different churches that are part of Crossbridge's family, 
that we've planted or replanted. We didn't know where we were going. We had no idea. I had no idea 13 years ago that we would have a church in Brickell or Miami Springs, and later on Key Biscayne and Homestead and Sao Paulo. I had no idea that we would have a Chinese congregation, a Spanish-speaking congregation. I had no idea. But God kept presenting us these visions and giving us opportunities, and we've stepped into that vision, not knowing sometimes what and where, but because we've trusted in Him and in His character, He has provided every single time. He has never left us hanging. We have always been standing on His promises. In the beginning of this year, we, we said that we wanted to see 100 people come to faith in Christ. And I remember the first staff meeting where this idea came out, and it was a vision that God gave us. How are we going to do that? <laughs> We're not used to doing altar calls and, you know, intensive, intensively praying for people to come to faith. We, we don't know. There were a lot of questions. We knew a few things, but not everything. There was a lot of questions. And we even set ahead of time four baptisms a year for this year. We didn't, we didn't have one person for the first baptism, which just happened last weekend. And guess what? In less than two months, over 20 people came to faith in Christ. Because God's provision is provision. So step out into that vision. Step out into the purpose that God has called you to do. You may not know where, when, how, but he will provide. He will provide every step of the way. That's what it means to pray Give us today our daily bread. But it also means that we ought to pray with hearts filled with hope. Pray with hearts filled with hope. In the original Aramaic prayer, the Lord's Prayer in Aramaic, this line reads this way, give us today tomorrow's bread. See, in, in, in the passage that we read today, the translation reads, Give us this day our daily bread. In the original Aramaic, it reads, give us today tomorrow's bread. Huh. I like that. Give us today tomorrow's bread. Meaning Jesus wants this to be a prayer of hope. A reliance on God's character, but in hope, always for a better future. For God's provision in the future. And here's what this means, okay? It means a few things. Number one, it means to pray desiring the joy of heaven now. Remember the previous line that we studied last week was your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are to long and to desire for heaven to be a reality around us and inside of us, a reality in this world, in our lives. We are to desire the joy of heaven now. Because every time that heaven is depicted in the Bible, you always have a picture of joy and gladness. Heaven is depicted, I don't know if you knew this, when you read the prophetic literature, it's always depicted as a feast with food and, and drinks, wine specifically, good wine. A never-ending feast. That's the picture of heaven. 
It's a never-ending party. It's a never-ending feast. Why? Because heaven is a place of full joy. And, and that's the closest metaphor that, uh, you know, humans could conceive when trying to understand the reality of life in heaven. And some of the best moments that you and I have ever had in life have been around the table with people that we have intimacy, share intimacy with, eating amazing food. It's amazing the imprints that a great meal can make in our souls and in our hearts and in our lives. Sometimes when you taste some type of food, it takes you back to a memory 10 years ago, 20 years ago. It makes that imprint. And heaven is described as a place of joy, a feast, a never-ending feast. And we, when we pray, Lord, give us today tomorrow's bread, literally, what we are saying is like, I want that joy, a little bit of that joy of heaven right now in my life. I want to live my life that way. I want my life to be characterized by the joy of heaven today. It's not just a promise for tomorrow, but it's also a promise for today. And moreover, I, I am praying for the reality of heaven to be manifest among us. The provisions, this picture of, 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 um, of provision, this, this picture of abundance to be a reality among us. And I want to see bodies right now being fed. When I pray this prayer, provide, give us tomorrow's bread today. This is the idea. I want to see people being fed. Why? Because in heaven there will be no hunger. In heaven, people will not hunger physically nor hunger spiritually because God will be all in all present among us. We will be forever in the presence of God. So today, when I pray this prayer, longing for tomorrow's bread to be available today, I want people to be fed. That's very practical. I want to feed them spiritually with the life of heaven. I want to get the gospel out, and I want to feed them physically as well. I want the reality of heaven to be present among us now. It's to acknowledge also that today's bread is only for today, and it doesn't fully satisfy, satisfy us because it is perishable. The only bread that can satisfy us today is tomorrow's bread. It reminds me of a passage in the Gospel of John. After Jesus, you, you probably know about this, Jesus had uh, fed the multitudes. And he, after that big feeding, he, he, he goes across. Uh, around the lake to another part, and the multitude is, is following him. And they find Jesus on the other side of, of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus goes by boat. They're following him around. They find him on the other side. And Jesus says this to, to the multitude. It's right there in, in John chapter 6, verses 26 and 27. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. And then he says, look, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. 
For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Ha. Jesus reprimands the multitude because all that they were after was physical bread. They wanted another meal, another free meal on Jesus. And Jesus says, don't feed yourselves. Don't long for food that is perishable. Meaning, anything that you try to feed your soul and your body in this life, you will go hungry because it will wear off anything in this life. Whether it's fame or glory uh, or wealth or uh, material food or external beauty, all those things, even good relationships, they will wear off. These things are not designed to satisfy the deepest longings of your heart, the hunger of your soul. And so when you pray, Lord, give us tomorrow's bread today, what you're acknowledging is I need that bread today because none of the things in this life and in my life are meant to satisfy my soul like tomorrow's bread. You get it? But it's also acknowledging that Jesus is tomorrow's bread made alive and available today. In that same passage of of John chapter 6, Later on, in verse 35, Jesus says these famous words. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. (laughs) He is the bread of life. See, when we pray this prayer, Lord, give us today our daily bread. In other words, give us tomorrow's bread today. What we're saying is, I need Jesus every day. Jesus is the ultimate bread that satisfies our souls. Why? Because he was broken for our sakes. He was torn for our sakes. So that through his life that was torn, our lives would be pieced together. So that our souls would be truly satisfied with him, the bread of heaven. And so today, I want to challenge you to pray this prayer with this in mind. Jesus, you are the bread of heaven. You are the bread of life. You are the only one that can sustain my soul. And I need you every day. Maybe you are here today listening to this, watching this sermon, and um, you've never prayed this prayer before. And you're so hungry. Your soul is so hungry right now. You are spiritually calorie deficient, malnutrition spiritually, because you have all these things in life that you've worked so hard for that you've seen as food for your soul And they, you know, you know that they do not satisfy. But here today before you, there is the bread of heaven that can satisfy your soul. And if you want to receive this bread into your life, if you want this bread to fill your soul, your spiritual hunger, it is available. And I want you to pray, therefore, this prayer with me. Pray like this. 
Jesus, you are tomorrow's bread made available for me today. I want to feed my soul off of the love and the sacrifice that you bore on my behalf. And I pray that you would be enough for me. In your name, I pray, amen. If you prayed this prayer for the very first time today, I want to encourage you to let us know. You can leave a comment in the comment section or you can click on the link there. There should be a link. Uh, there's a form for you to fill. We will contact you. We will come alongside you and show you the next steps. Now, if you're here today and you are a believer in Jesus, and this is the moment where I want to invite you to the Lord's table. As I said in the beginning, today is the Sunday that we call Around the Table. I want to invite you to come and feast with Jesus because we believe that when we take part of this meal, when we eat of this bread and we drink of this cup, that Jesus is mysteriously present among us. I actually even believe that he's mysteriously present virtually in this virtual space with us, in your home, us here at church, connected through this web, in different living rooms, in different countries, in different cities, that Jesus is here with us, uniting us, connecting us, because we're part of the same body, the body of Christ, which was broken for our behalf so that we can have life with God. I also believe that when we take part of this meal, that we are being spiritually fed, that our souls are receiving the spiritual nourishment that it needs in order for it to be sustained, for us to be able to navigate life in this world. And I also believe that when we take part of, of this meal, that uh, we are standing on hope. We're praying with hearts, like I said, filled with hope, looking forward to the day where Jesus will return, where all things will be made right, and that we will share this meal with him physically around the table. In the night that the Lord Jesus Christ was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he says, this is my body broken for you. After breaking the bread, he takes the cup and he says, this is my blood spilled for you. This is the cup of the new covenant. Later on, the Apostle Paul says that every time that we eat of this bread and we drink of this cup, we are proclaiming Jesus' death until he returns. And what does he mean when he says we're proclaiming Jesus' death until he returns? We're saying to one another, we're proclaiming when we take part of this meal, we are loved by God because he loved us with his life. He gave his life for us. That's why he died. To proclaim Jesus' death is to say, I am loved by God. He died for me. He died for you. Let's eat and drink to that reality. Let's feed our souls in that reality. So I want to encourage you to take a piece of bread or if you have crackers there, I don't know, maybe hot dog buns, I don't know, 
And uh, I, I want you to eat it and drink it in memory of Jesus, believing that your soul is being fed today and that one day you will feast physically with Jesus in the new heavens and new earth. So will you eat and drink? Will you pray with me as we close our moment of communion? Jesus, thank you for supplying for our every need. Mainly for our greatest need, salvation. Father, we are so grateful that because of what your son has done, that we can accept it, could be accepted into your household, that we can eat from your table. And so, Father, may our hearts be strengthened today in love, in faith, and in hope. We pray this in Jesus' name.